Hi guys, welcome back to a new episode of the new unfiltered. So every single week I have been encouraging you to call in with questions to the number in my Instagram bio and on the new unfiltered bio and tell me everything that you're struggling with. The past few weeks for me have been really difficult. I turned 24. I unfortunately got broken up with, which has never happened to me in my life by someone that I really, really, really respected. And I'm just learning a lot through this process. And I thought, what better way to help me heal as well as make you guys more confident than have a mentor match mentor on the new unfiltered who can chime in on a variety of different ways that makes being in your 20s a lot easier. So I have Dr. Yashoda Baskar here. She is one of the mentors in the Mentor Match program. So once you hear her story and how amazing she is, you can go to lifeunfilteredwithalexa.com slash mentors and book her for a call. So doctor, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the opportunity, Alex. I really admire you and how much you've accomplished in your very young life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, you are such a joy and I'm so excited to have you be a part of the program, but you have a really cool background and story and you don't just focus on things like burnout and women's health. You also focus on money and making sure that women are in control of their finances. So take us through the evolution of how you became so successful. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. So I will tell you, I'm 56 years old, which sounds, I know, very old to people in their 20s. I have a 27-year-old and a 29-year-old, both both boys or sons, I should say. And I almost cannot recall what life was like in the 20s. Um, I had pretty traditional upbringing in India, went to medical school at the age of 17, pretty much did what I was told to do. You know, I was the classic good child. And then unexpectedly, I met my husband, we got married, and that's how I moved to this country. I've lived in Kuwait, I've lived in a few other countries, and um, I'm seeing what's going on. And, you know, the whole financial piece, especially with women, is because we have so much hangups, right? Like many of us have never really been taught about how to feel about money, how to think about money. And I don't necessarily mean the math. The math can be learned, right? It's fairly straightforward. It's our behavior and attitude towards money that sometimes trips us up. So when I came to realize that and I realized, you know, I've been a physician for many, many years and had never really done my own money work. um, That's what drew me to become a certified money coach last year. And I've been coaching a lot of people around their money mindset. And so how does that overlap with topics like burnout? Because it makes sense, right? If you are struggling with money, you might be working a lot more and then you're going to end up being burnout. But what inspired you to go down the path of getting into talking about money and not just focusing on more things like mental health and burnout? Mm, Great question. Well, so what came to me is it's such a taboo subject. It's the classic elephant in the room. And if you think about sort of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very basic things that we need as humans to feel secure and to feel less stress is food, clothing, and shelter. And guess what? In the modern day, we need money for food, clothing, and shelter. And if you look at the original Maslow's triangle, money is nowhere on there. So it's like literally this invisible elephant in the room. And what I found during my medical practice is, you know, even amongst physicians, even though we are pretty high 
income earning people, there's still a level of stress and anxiety, especially with the amount of student loans um, and maybe not managing our money very well. And I call it the classic case of the golden handcuffs. And of course, it's not restricted just to physicians. I think almost every human, right? We go to work because we got to make the money to pay the bills. And it keeps us sometimes stuck in a place that is not serving us well. And we feel trapped. And um, yeah, so money is very much linked to burnout because you're staying in a place that's slowly sucking your soul dry and you just can't leave because you need, you know, you need the money to pay the bills. So that was the connection I made between like burnout, anxiety, stress, and, and money. Well, they're also intertwined. You know, I have found for me that if I am doing not as well financially, I find myself to become a lot more uh, keen on like burnout, anxiety, and depression, which are things that I struggle with already in my day-to-day life. So you add the money factor in and it's just an additional stress, but I'm really mm-hmm. wanting to know your advice for young people that are going through anything between specifically people in their twenties, because I know you said you have you know, a child in their late twenties as well, but it is an incredibly hard time. I think that that 10 year period between 20 and 30, you learn so much and you find out so much, but a lot of the moments can end up stemming depression and anxiety for other people when they are just not doing as well. So what advice do you have for people in their twenties? Yeah, such a great question, Alexa. So I would say that it's never too early to start, right? To really start thinking about financial wellness just as much as you do about emotional wellness, mental health, um, you know, all the other things, exercise, diet, you know, I'm also board certified in lifestyle medicine. And I think it's important to pay attention to all aspects of our life. And unfortunately, finances somehow seem to fall off the scale, like you said, till it becomes a problem. So starting to really learn like simple math around money, right? Like start tracking your expenses, know how much you're spending, because at the end of the day, if you don't know how much you're spending, it's kind of hard to know how much you need, right? And so I, that's kind of usually what I I coach my, my, my clients. I'm like, let's start tracking your spending. And then you start learning about very simple investing um, methodology, you know, and honestly, I'm more of a go with the low cost index funds. I use Vanguard. My kids use Charles Schwab. It doesn't matter which one you pick, um, you know, start putting away a little bit, even if it's five, $10, $50 a month, whatever you can put away because you're building this nest egg for, when you're not necessarily retiring, but let's say even, you know, in your forties and fifties, you can see that money grow. So just having some very simple like discipline and being consistent and not being swayed by, you know, sort of the get rich quick schemes that tend to hound us um, are just some very simple things to start, you know, start getting your financial house in, in, um, in shape. And what about in those moments where you just don't know where to start? I have so many friends who literally are in their early and even late twenties and just don't have savings. They don't have the money to put into savings. So it's like, what do you do when you don't have any money to put in savings? Mm, Great question. So I would say, ask yourself why that is, right? The statistics show that is not for a lack of jobs. Last month alone, 
4 million Americans walked away from their jobs. And everywhere you go, there are signs, right? Help wanted everywhere. I mean, they're like desperate for help. So if, you're, if you are not being efficient in your money generating activities, you need to look at that, right? Like what, what, why exactly am I not able to save enough to put away for my future, right? You start there, you know, there's, there's, I can tell you there's probably about 50 ways people can make money. And I mean, legally, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, not necessarily going and like selling your body or selling drugs. There's, there's at least 50 ways people can think about how to make money. So I would, I would say being creative around that. How do you create money, right? Like it has to be that sort of an attitude. How do I create money? And in the time that I have, right? It needs to be time efficient, like working three soul sucking jobs. Well, you know, that's probably not the best way to do it. What are some skills and talents? And again, that's something I coach about too. I'm like, okay, let's look at, we do a life inventory. What are some other skills that are non-traditional that you can use to create more money? I am obsessed. I just wrote that down. Do a life inventory. And I mean, that's also across the board and probably so many other facets of life too: relationships, jobs, what matters and what is meaningful and also what can be taken out. What would you consider to be a toxic either relationship or friendship? How do you define what a toxic relationship in any capacity is? Ah, beautiful question. Um, listen to your gut, right? have your intuition turned up. If something in you is telling you there is something wrong with this, don't make excuses, right? Like if your boyfriend's coming home and meet, beating you up every couple months, that, there's a problem there. Like don't, don't make excuses for that. Don't, there's a lot of gaslighting that happens too, right, Alexa? Especially with young women, right? We're made to feel like everything uh -huh. is our fault. And I think it's important for us to, and see, this is why I just love to mentor young women because we, our confidence gets kind of beaten out of us, right? We live in a very patriarchal society. Let's be honest about that. So how do we maintain a sense of confidence and be willing to say, you know, something in my gut says that the, this is just not right. This, this is a toxic job environment. Yeah, other people are saying other things, but I need to listen to my instincts and my intuition and figure out how best I can help myself. That's where it starts. And if you're in that relationship and you don't have anyone else in your circle, especially in an abusive relationship, it can be extra difficult because perhaps there is this relationship, but you don't have anyone outside of that circle that can be your support. Where do you turn to? Because a lot of people will say turn right to therapy, but sometimes people don't have access to therapy. They don't believe in therapy. So what's next after that? No, I know you're absolutely right, right? This is this is the truth of it. And again, needs money, right? We go back to that same thing. I would say, you know, in this, listen, when I was in my 20s, there was no internet, which, which is probably mm -hmm. shocking to people in their 20s, and, you know. But you know what? We have this amazing thing called the internet, right? And there are tons of resources out there. There's, there's you know, shelters for battered women, for abused women. There's organizations as 1-800, you know, lines. I, I don't know any of them like off the top of my head, 
But even I think if you just Googled, right, like support for abused women or something like that, or being in an abusive relationship, I'm sure there's tons of free resources out there that you can start like reaching out to. And the nice thing is it's anonymous for, for, for a big part. And also they're, they're trained, right? Even if they're volunteers, they're trained to figure out how to help you with whatever situation that you're in. And so, you know, I think the first thing is to realize you are actually not alone in this, right? There's other people who have gone through it. And there's a lot of charitable organizations who are out there to help people just like whoever is going through an abusive or toxic um, relationship or, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, very true. And overall being in your twenties, I mean, anyone who's in any type of abusive or toxic relationship at any point in their life should obviously take all of your tips, but being in your twenties and having less experience than when you're older and you have more of these experience with relationships, it can be way more common to get caught up in the frustration and the sadness because you don't have experience from other relationships. A lot of this stuff is new. So I don't know when you were in your twenties or you've seen other people, instead of getting caught up in those moments, because you've never experienced it before, how can you rebound faster and be stronger and happier? Mm, Yeah. You know, I think it is that willingness to, so, okay, I'm just going to, it's a little bit of a connection here. So I'm actually listening to an audiobook called The Choice that was um, written by Dr. Edith Egers, E-G-E-R-S. She's 92 years old psychologist, and she is a concentration camp survivor. She was 15 when she got carted off to the camp, right? And her story is so powerful. And you know what she says? She says, suffering is universal but victimhood is optional, Mm. right? And when we hear that, and if we're in a bad situation, the first thing that happens is it raises our ire. Like, what the fuck? I'm not a victim, right? Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to (laughs) drop F. Yeah, go for it. You know, and um, so you're right. You know, when you're feeling trapped, when you're feeling like there is absolutely no hope out there, the one thing to remember is people, even in the worst possible situations, like in a concentration camp where, you have no idea when a bullet's going to get put through your head, you still have control over how you choose to show up, right? It's still a choice of how we decide we want to be, even under the worst circumstances. So again, going back to what you're saying, I think, you know, listening to our gut, listening to our intuition, and just knowing, you know, I'm a good, decent person, and I don't deserve to be treated like this. And even though I don't know what help I should seek out, I mean, that's why we have the mentoring program too, right? Reach out to a mentor, right? Like, and we can direct you. I can help you. I will get on the internet and find those resources for you, right? So even if you feel like you are in this situation where you're just like, help, you know, I just need somebody to like, just take me in hand and like, help me figure this out, um, which is perfectly okay. You know, you don't have to try and do it all on your own. Um, but the first Step is needing to reach out and ask for help. And then we can be like, okay, let's look at what we can do here, right? Like we can figure out these resources for you. 
And it's never a bad thing to look at going to therapy or a mentorship type of relationship and think of it as reaching out for help. I mean, I know a lot of people who are nervous about going to therapy because they don't want to think that they're sick or that they need help. And that's what I hate is there's that stigma around just being stronger and caring more for yourself. And I wish that we could rewrite that for everyone so that people didn't feel so ashamed, especially with topics relating to mental health. But I am curious, I did a poll a few weeks ago on the difference between being a leader and being a founder. And a lot of people had many, many, many different ideas of the difference between being a founder and being a leader. But I am curious, how do you define both of those terms? And in what capacity do you consider yourself to be either or both? Mm, Great question. If I can segue back just one moment about yeah. therapy, and I open, I'm I'm very open about it, um, Alexa. I have never actually been diagnosed, you know, with a mental health. You know, haven't had like a ICD code diagnosis of anything. I just never had depression or anything. But when I was going through burnout in medicine and suffering, I can't even tell you how hard it was because it's very lonely, especially wow. doctors, right? We're not allowed to show our vulnerability. We're supposed to know everything. Everybody around us seemed to be doing fine. I caved in and I started going to therapy. I didn't even know what I was getting into, but my primary care doc was, I'm really worried about you and you should just go meet this woman. And I was in therapy for four years and I can tell you it saved my life. It made me remove myself from that toxic. I just don't even know how I would be living my life here in Hawaii, like really living my dream life if if it wasn't for therapy. So I think at that point, I didn't even give a damn what people thought. Like nobody really knew either, right? Unless I told them. So it is very confidential. And if you do have access to therapy, I absolutely 100% say, go, go get it, you know, go do it. So I just wanted to put that out there that even so-called strong women like me sometimes do cave in and ask for help, you know, um, to talk about leadership or being a founder. Okay. I hate to interrupt you, but I want to ask you a little bit more about the therapy because it's so important to hear also someone in the medical field, talk about it. What Mm. did you go into therapy asking for or expecting out of your sessions? Mm. I went into therapy because I had no other idea of how to deal with what was going on in my head, right? I had a very loving husband. I had great kids. I was making good money. Like on the surface, everything was fine. And there was this huge amount of guilt. Like what is wrong with me, right? Like I have the freaking perfect life and yet I am freaking miserable. Mm -hmm. So it was, and I hadn't heard about coaching at that point. This was really sort of the thing that was out there. And so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go in and, you know, check it out. I'm not quite sure, you know, there's nothing wrong with me mentally, you know, all that blah, 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 blah. And I think I just got really lucky to get an amazing therapist. She had actually been a teacher um, in a previous life and then had become a therapist. And, um, and she just was able to really ground me. You know, I needed a lot of grounding. I needed a lot of like come back in the moment now. Honestly, Alexa, I probably, I probably, I'm not probably, I was definitely traumatized. I think I had like mini PTSD going on. And so she was able to just like that one hour a week when I would be in her office, like sometimes I would just go in there and cry. That was it. The whole hour I would cry, right? Because my husband would feel so uncomfortable if I cried. And she was like, that's okay, Ishoda, you can come in here and just cry. That's what you want to do. 
And so it was, it was a slow process, but it allowed me to put one foot in front of the other. I was the primary breadwinner. I didn't feel like I could quit medicine at that point, right? Um, it was a very slow healing process is the best, best way I can describe it. So going into it, expecting to get anything specific out of it or being frustrated if you're not given the answers at first, is that something that people should be cautious of? Because it can deter a lot of people from pursuing and continuing to work with a therapist if they're like, this person isn't giving me the right answers and I'm not feeling happier or better. I'm over it. Mm. Yeah, no, don't fall into that trap, right? Unfortunately, we live in this world. I call it McDonaldization of our society, right? Give it to me, give it to me now, you know, give it to me for a dollar, right? Like everything is so fast. And I'm sorry to say neither therapy nor coaching works like that. If you're really interested in investing in yourself, in your emotional well-being, which honestly is the best investment anybody can make in themselves, right? Because it affects all other aspects of our life. Um, then you have to give it time. You have to let it sort of seep into your seep into your cells, into your soul, into your DNA, right? And having that relationship of trust and and yeah, maybe that you know you bring up a good point. I think I actually went in with almost absolutely no expectations. I think I went in with hope, right? The hope was I want to survive this and maybe eventually thrive. I mean, I'd been pushed to the edge, literally. You know, uh, I was never actively suicidal, but I can tell you there were times that thoughts crossed my mind, like, I don't even know what I'm doing and I wish all of this would end, right? Mm -hmm. So to go from there and to be coming out, and like I said, it took four years to say, finally, you know, I am not a victim. I am in charge of my own freaking life. I can, you know, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I'm hardworking, I have a heart of gold. And I'll figure out a way of how to make my living in this world, you know? I love that. And it's a process. And for therapy as well, what I found is you don't always have to look at it as like, it's a, if one work doesn't work, that mean, that doesn't mean that the next one won't work. You really have to go through it the same with mentorship. And I encourage everyone to be eager to try other mentors and whatnot, if they don't feel like they're getting the right fit at the time. But now I would like to take you into that next question about the difference between a leader and a founder and where you categorize yourself. Mm. I've been both. I feel like I am both. Um, I've had, I've held formal sort of leadership titles when I was working. I was actually the department chief at my job where it was a department of five, all older, all white men. You can imagine this woman from India coming in, right? It was quite the fascinating um, experience. Um, so I've definitely had formal leadership um, experience, but you know, informally, I also say every one of us is a leader. Every one of us is a CEO of our own life, right? Like we get to control how we choose to show up in our life, how we choose, how we choose to be in relationship, in our jobs, in, you know, whether it's financial or our own health. Um, I'm a big proponent of take care of your health because once it's gone, it's really bad, yeah. you know, hard to get it back. Right. Um, and a founder, well, I guess I've sort of started my own business and my own companies. I'm also the founder and CEO of YB Wellness Coaching LLC <laughs> at the age of 55. Right. So again, knowing that, you know, you guys are in your twenties, the way science is going, if you take good care of your health, you have a really good chance of living a very long and very healthy life. 
I, I really want to stress that you could live well into your hundreds. And what do you want that life to look like? Right. Do you want to be stuck in a wheelchair in a nursing home with dementia or do you want to be still active and scuba diving or swimming the waters of Hawaii? <laughs> yeah. Right? And, it's, and it's the same with money, too. And also, do you also envision money as this gateway or lifeline or do you look at it as a tool to Sorry, there's this guy outside my apartment and he's like sprinting so much faster than I've ever seen. I'm like starting to laugh. <laughs> I'm literally like, how is he running so fast um, on, on the track? Sorry about that, guys. Uh, or, or do you want money to be something that can enable you to do better, but you also aren't defined by it? And I struggle a lot with that is feeling, as I mentioned earlier, and maybe that will go away with age, but feeling very uh, like I'm controlled sometimes by what I can do and how happy I am by money. And I don't want to be like that. So how do you avoid that? Letting your happiness be defined by how much money you're making or how much you have at that time. Mm, great question, man. If you get me started down the money train, I'm telling you, Alexa, we could be here two hours. I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people money is our friend, mm. Right. Think about money as like your best friend. It can take you places that you can, you can dream of, right? You, we almost have an adversarial relationship with money. I think, you know, like people, I've heard people, I don't want to pay taxes and all of that. And I actually, I'm like, I'm like, I love paying taxes, not a whole lot, you know, reasonable amount, because then I get to live in this beautiful country with yeah. great roads, with no potholes. So when it comes to the money mindset, I think having that abundance mindset, right? Like, hey, I have faith that, I, I think I've told you this before, I'm deeply spiritual and I really believe in like a divine power. And so I believe that if we have faith that what I need will come, right? Sometimes there's a struggle, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not always easy, but we need to have faith and also faith in our own abilities, like I said before, right? Take an inventory of all your skills. I'll give you a quick example. Last year with COVID, I had a client who is a single mom with three really young children, and her only source of income was running a daycare. And of course, with COVID, it just like uh -huh. came to a grinding halt. And she was like, crap, like, what am I going to do? She remembered that she made this beautiful jewelry and, and sold it on Etsy. So she started doing that. Now, obviously, she didn't get as much money as like running her daycare, but at least it didn't like put her out of her house, right? So dig back and look and see, what am I, what do I love to do, right? I always, the thing I talk about is ikigai, right? The Japanese concept of what is it that people need from you that they're willing to pay for, that you love doing, and that you get paid for? That is meaning, purpose, and passion in life. If you can figure that out, that's it, right? Then the money just, it literally will flow. That's why it's called currency. It comes and it goes, right? It comes into our life and it goes. But think about it as a friend. And I do this really funky exercise that I have my my clients do, I'm like, get a $20 bill or a hundred dollar bill or whatever, just get a, you know, piece, a bill and actually look at it every single day and talk to it. It sounds crazy when I say this, right? But I actually have them practice this and they love that exercise because how many of us actually handle paper money anymore? I know not a lot of people and I'm a huge fan of cash. Yeah. <laughs> Who is it? Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a great exercise. I actually have another friend who's a podcaster and he has a $100 bill that, or a, 
something or a $1 bill. I can't remember that he framed and he put on his wall or no, sorry, a check. And he wrote it out to himself for a million dollars and it's framed on his wall. And I don't know. I, I think that's a really great tool too, because you want to make your life. You want to choose your decisions and pave the path for yourself and for your future. And just too many people rely on let me get married to a really rich guy. And that's the easy way out. And you're so right with everything that you're saying about passion and purpose. Once you can find that, then it really isn't that hard to get paid to do what you're good at and what you love. Exactly. Exactly. That's the secret of it, bringing it all together and not, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Because the more we stress about money, it seems like it's harder to make it. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we can say, I have the capacity, I have the capability, I have God given gifts that I can figure out how to translate into making money and then make friends with it. Don't treat it. You know, people say it's a tool. I I guess I guess it is a tool, Uh, you know, in and of itself. It's a pretty inanimate, inanimate object. Right. Like it's just a piece of paper with a number of, you know, a bunch of numbers printed on it and the face of some dead president. Right. (laughs) But it means it's the meaning we assign to money that gives it the power, right? Money in and of itself is neutral. Money doesn't make people bad. I mean, money, money, um, it, yeah, it, it it doesn't it doesn't like it's in the, the people who handle money, and you know when we hear about greed and all of this stuff, you can't blame money for it, right? It's you guys like what people do with it, so. So why not make friends with it, right? Why not make it be a happy thing with you? Like tuck it in your pocket. There's another great resource that people want to check out. There's a guy by the name of Ken Honda and he wrote a book called Happy Money. And I just love that book. It's got such a beautiful philosophy of how we can befriend money and you know, be sort of like calm and feel abundant and confident that it'll come to you you know? Uh, no, I think that that's great. I'm going to look up, I'm going to look at that book. Can you buy it on Amazon? You think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's called happy money. It's called happy money. And, and the author is Ken Honda. Fabulous. I have one last question for you on the topic of purpose and finding that passion so that you can live your most fearless and unfiltered and successful life. What is the first step for someone who is listening to this and doesn't know their purpose and doesn't know how to find it? Hmm. So purpose, I believe, is not something you find or you strive to. Um, It's something that's already in you and probably has been suppressed and forgotten by what society tells us, right? Society is like, you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. You got to do it the other way. And so then it gets forgotten and it gets deeply buried in our psyche. So I think the first thing to do, you know, if you're in that position and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. What I would say is take that time, you know, to me, I think going out in nature, being in the water, being by the beach, setting aside all these electronic distractions we have, right? That tells us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to be. And just start journaling. I I think journaling is really powerful, getting your thoughts out on paper drawing like creativity right like don't like I think sometimes these things you you can't force them it comes to you in very subtle ways and getting mentored and coached I mean you need I mean I think we all need to be mentored and coached like learn from people who've gone before you who've created the kind of life that you're aspiring to create 
Yeah. Because if you don't have those people in your circle and you're too, uh, I, I don't know what the word is, but I don't know, entitled or think that you're doing well enough that you don't need to ask other people for advice or opinions. You're not learning and you're not growing. And really something my mom always says is that all we really have is relationships. So when I look at people who are controlled by money or give up good, healthy relationships because they aren't making enough money, or they don't think that the relationship's good enough because they don't have enough money. What is the point in everything? If you don't have those relationships, but then you get the money. So I always say to people, you always want to look at when you're at the top, will you have everything? Because if it takes you losing all of your friends and all of your relationships to get to the top and make all that money, you won't have anyone up there. And I think that's just something to be conscious of. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, yes, I think you said it really well, Alexa, I think being very clear about what are your values, what are your goals, what, you know, I really am a strong proponent of designing your life, right? We get one life as as far as we know, Mm -hmm. and it's a gift. Can we look at it as a gift and how can we create the kind of life that brings us the maximum joy? And I, we all know a lot of very, very unhappy, rich people out there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the worst. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. That's truly, that's truly the worst, but you should have, it has been so lovely to chat with you. I am deeply, deeply, deeply inspired and honestly feeling stronger just by listening to this conversation. So where can everyone find out more about you online and especially your coaching services? Um, it's on my website. If people go down to, I know I'm going to probably get a different domain name, but it's Yashoda Baskar MD.com. Um, Y-A-S-H-O-D-A. B-H-A-S-K-A-R-M-D.com. And people can reach out to me there. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram and LinkedIn, all under the same name, Yashoda Baskar MD. I am going to be planning a trip to Hawaii at some point because you are my new uh, inspiration. And if if you're (laughs) driving in Hawaii, then there's got to be something, there's got to be something there. Absolutely. I would love to meet you here, Alexa. It is a very beautiful healing place, especially the big island, the volcanoes active, you know, you can feel the energy. Um, and it's it's healing. It's very healing. Um, and it is a beautiful place. And you can swim with the turtles and the dolphins and the manta rays. And it's magic. It's magical. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. And even just being so immersed in nature and feeling so close to the earth that maybe sounds silly, but a lot of people forget that, especially when you're living in cities, you're all around people in cars, you're not actually in, in nature. And that can be so healing in itself. So, uh, so yeah, this has been such a great episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to everyone who listen and wants to know more about Yashoda, please go to lifeunfiltered.com slash mentors, and you will see her profile there. And if you have other questions, you can call in and leave a voicemail at 909-979-3291 and make sure to follow Yashoda as well as myself and the podcast on Instagram. You can see that all in the show notes and I will see you guys back next week for a new episode of the new unfiltered.